It's Friday. Still sitting here waiting for some rain to really fall and cool things down. Well, that's not the only thing that needs some cooling down. We need to throw some water on Hamden because let me tell you, there's a lot of shit happening over in Hamden, Connecticut. CJ here, and this is the sound of black and brown. And so today, I'm going to dig more into what has been happening with the Hamden Police, former Hamden Police Commission Chair, Rhonda Caldwell, as well as, you know, um, looking back over here at New Haven, because we do have allegedly a civilian review board that allegedly is supposed to serve a purpose to us. And I'm saying allegedly because we still don't really know what that purpose is. At least I don't. So I'm hoping to get some insight on that, but also to talk more on the pockets of the ruling class. What am I talking about? Well, you know, the police are the puppets of the ruling class. You know, where there's privilege, there's power, all right? And, you know, right now we have a situation happening here in Connecticut, right here, right now, that really needs to be addressed. Because the thing about it is, uh, we have police officers who are comfortable, very, very comfortable being aggressive to the point that, you know, um, if they do do something to the extent of, I don't know, throwing around a guy in the back of a policeman, I don't know, shooting at a couple on the street, I don't know, you know, just being brutal, nasty, all of it, they know that they'll be okay. How do we know that? Well, I don't know if you knew this, but it seems like the Hamden Police Department is the home for the bad police in Connecticut. Because recently, one of the officers involved in the Randy Cox case was able to transfer over there, I believe, from um, the word I have out there, and also a Bridgeport police officer who has a history of police brutality and current cases, I believe, you know? And one has to wonder, why is this okay? Now, if I was working at Walmart, right? Let's say I was working at Walmart, I'm a Walmart employee, a black female single mother Walmart employee and a customer complains about me, you bet your ass I'm going to at least get, you know, a conversation with my supervisor, meaning my supervisor is going to come across, ask me what happened, why did that happen? It may be that the supervisor likes me, maybe, hopefully, or it may be that the supervisor does not, in which case it goes from shit to a whole heap of bullshit. Now, talking about shit and bullshit. Recently, um, to reasons that only white supremacy can understand, Megan Freeman and the New Haven Register published not just one, but two episodes about the former police chair, police commission chair, Rhonda Caldwell. Now, the way the stories were written, it was done with the intent of painting this picture of a black woman who seemingly did not obey because she really didn't, right? Why would you want to aid and abet continued police brutality against your own? That's some serious coonery right there, okay? And so Rhonda wasn't having it. Now, not only that, you know, here's the interesting part about this story in Hamden, and I've mentioned this to you all earlier and even before then. Prior to her appointment, right, see, 
we're always acceptable until they realize we have more power. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about toxic white people, all right, and white supremacists. Now, the problem is so many people expect racism to be blatant. They have this image that a racist is pointed. They, they feel like if someone is racist, then you'll know they're racist because they'll be racist all the time. Well, I'm here to bust a little bubble and tell you that is not how that goes. A racist will choose, you know, just like Christopher Columbus chose to mislead the people of Africa and all the other slaves into thinking that he was about to free them and show them a better life and take them away from poverty. Instead, instead, he piled them all up on a boat and he stole them because he recognized that they were ignorant to certain things. That these were simple people who just wanted to dive in their skin. And he did what they do. He took advantage of it. He exploited it. And when he was done with it, he was done with them too. Okay? Now, that being said, the same thing is happening right here, right now in Connecticut. The same thing is happening right here, right now to the former police commission chair in Hamden, right? There was no need, no reason for those articles to be written. Nothing. None of that was legit. It was done out of fear spite. That was just spiteful behavior. That was just a white person exerting themselves. Because let me tell you something if you didn't know. I started saying it and I linked it up. The current mayor of Hamden ran her ticket on the Black Lives Matter campaign. Let me rewind and say that again. The current mayor of Hamden ran her ticket on the Black Lives Matter campaign. You understand what I'm telling you? She used that. She used our oppression. She used our cry for justice. She used our disdain of the horrible policing against us because that's what they do, all right? And she did not have a problem with Rhonda when she was standing there taking pictures, showing how much she, she cares and, you know, showing how she's a different white woman. She wants things to change. She did that. She did not have a problem with Rhonda, right, when she was calling her her political adversary, right? Rhonda was, Rhonda was the bomb.com when Rhonda was an obedient Negro to that extent. She didn't have a problem with Rhonda when she and her husband, Dan Garrett, right, or ex-husband, whatever the fuck it is, were driving through the streets of Hamden following, you know, someone, it, I, I forget how it went. It had something to do with a phone or some shit or something like that. The point is, she took it upon herself to be a white savior and show how against the police she was. This is Lauren Garrett, you know. I hate the police. First of all, you grew up in a uh, a whole state, a whole town where there are barely any fucking uh, black people, much less, you know, white people who oppose police. So, you know, I mean, I'm having a hard time, right, really buying the bullshit she's attempting to sell because that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to sell bullshit. And it's up to you to really sit down and, and see the fuckery, right? Again, the police are the puppets of the ruling class. 
No sooner did she become a mayor, right? So she takes on her role as mayor. And now she starts dating a police officer. Oh, shit. Oh, my. What are you talking about, CJ? See, this is what I mean. They put up the window dressing. They sit there and they act like and they say like and they pretend like. But the truth is they don't give a fuck, right? Yes, she is. Yes, she is. She's dating or has. Don't know for sure because I'm not in her business like that. See, that's the funny part, right? Nobody was given a flying fuck. At least I wasn't about Lauren Garrett. I mean, you're another white woman who got power and you're proud of it. So you could go ahead and sit there in your privilege. You're not doing anything for me anymore. You showed up. You even tried to pretend like you gave a fuck about the community five minutes after the election. But then, you know, what did you do for Paul and Stephanie? Nothing. You ran your campaign on their attack. And then you get into an office and you settle. You did that, Lauren Garrett. Yes, you did. You stood right there. You were right there calling on Kurt Lang and claiming that Valerie is racist, Valerie Horses. She's so racist. Oh, my God. But she's the biggest Karen of them all. She's the, the clan member who wears the hood in private. That's the worst kind. Because, you see, when the rally is over and everybody goes home and she's sitting there drinking the hot cocoa with her little white husband, you know, she's sitting there being proud of herself. Look at me. I was one of the good ones. I showed up for five minutes and I pretended and now black people like me. Brown people like me. I did that. They do that. And here's the better part about it, right? This is, <laughs> this is hilarious. You know, trust me, I'm laughing, right? Because they sit there and then pride themselves in their saviorism, right? That's what Lauren Garrett does. That's what she did. That's what she did. And then you have the nerve, right, to try to blaspheme a black woman, the same black woman who helped you get that fucking seat. But you're not telling that part of the story. Because, Lauren, let me tell you, if it wasn't for Rhonda, you would not be the mayor. Come for me if you want to. Most people didn't know who the fuck you were until Rhonda became part of your circle. Nobody cared. But you see, you decided you had to be the best Clorox of all, the whitest white. Okay? So you and Sean Grace went out there on your white saviorism campaign. You made sure you showed up at the white places at the white time. You took the white pictures. Okay? You did the whole spiel. The worst of them all. Because you're the kind who infiltrate our communities and pretend to give a fuck, and then you leave us there. That's exactly what you did. Guess what? You, you learned well from Justin Ellicker. You learned well, because let me tell you something about him now. Let's talk about Dusted for a second. Now, I was actually presenting an Unidad Latina meeting in particular, where Dusted Ellicker was invited. This is when he ran the second time. See, some people don't realize just like Lauren, when Dusted ran the first time, he lost. And he realized that he lost because, you know, he didn't back up. He didn't have the right people behind him. He didn't have that support. And he realized the best way to do that was what? Show up in the white places at the white time, talk the white way. Talk about, say the words that trigger people to give a fuck and think that for five seconds you care. That's what he did. That's what he's good at. 
you really and truly, you should give this guy an Academy Award. He is a good actor. All right. No, he gets into office. Right. No, no, wait, pause. Sorry, let me dial it back. Before he gets into office, he realized, whoa, shit, I need not just, you know, the woke, the alleged woke white people, but I also need, I also need the um, Latinos. And I apologize. We're having a little technical difficulty today. So if my audio is going in and out, I don't know what's going on. We're having a little bit of a little situation. So I do apologize for that. But I do hope this comes through well enough that you all could hear me out. He showed up to that ULA meeting, right? Oh, thank you, Amy. Um, he showed up to that ULA meeting, right? So we're at the meeting and Dustin shows up. And I actually have a picture to prove this shit. He sat in the circle. We had a circle. And we were all discussing, like, different things in the community. And Dusted shows up. And he um, starts to talk in Spanish. All of a sudden, he's bilingual now. So now he's Dusted <laughs> Senior Eliker. So Senior Eliker shows up. And he starts to talk about, oh, yeah, I know you guys have you know, all these barriers, you know, especially, you know, um, being undocumented and trying to find, and now he's talking to the ULA members in Spanish and he's claiming to care, or give a fuck about the fact that they're working under the table, about the fact that they're being mistreated, about the fact that New Haven is not a sanctuary city and that if it were, right, if it were a sanctuary city, then, you know, these barriers would not exist. He did that shit, right? Dusted Elliker did that. He sat right there. He said what he needed to say to get the buy-in because that's what they do. Lauren Garrett did the same shit. He said what he had to say to get that buy-in. He said what he had to say to get people to give a fuck for five minutes. And he made it seem, pretended to make it seem like he wanted New Haven to be a sanctuary city, up to and including asking us for our proposal, the actual ordinance. Now, here's another part a lot of people don't realize, right? Some of these laws, if not most, I'm being generous here, I'm being generous, are actually written by the people, literally. What you don't know is when you see proposals like the Crown Act, when you see, um, you know, you see things like demanding higher wages, you see those things happening. When you see demands for um, a civilian review board, that came from the people, actually, including the civilian review board that we currently have in New Haven. That ordinance, that was written, proposed and written by the people. Don't get confused. Dusted Elliker did not sit there and write a fucking thing. I still have the proposal that we wrote, all right, just an FYI. And I could actually tell you which alders we sent it to. Shout out to Eli Sabin and Daryl Brackeen, who, when they received said request for New Haven to be made a real sanctuary city, Dusted Elliker suddenly flipped. He flipped sides now. When he, soon as he gets elected, so let me dial that back. Pre-election, Dusted was like, oh, yes, yes, break down that wall. Yes, fuck Trump. Yes, all of that, all of this, all of that, right? All of this and that, all of this and that. 
He's saying all the white things. He's making sure Paul Bass documents him. He's making sure that, you know, people um, hear him say all this shit. He did that, right? But then when he gets into office and he has, you know, he does the whole show and tell the whole, you know, they had something down at um, high school in the community and, you know, they had all these different people there and they broke it up into groups and on all the different issues and, oh, we give a fuck about this and, oh, we give a fuck about that. Look at us as a community coming together. Oh, look how beautiful we look. Look at us. Look at us here toiling away trying to solve all our problems. Okay? He did that. Then he gets into office. <laughs> he gets into office. And guess what he doesn't give a fuck about? That's correct, Amy. The immigrants. Yes, ma'am. Soon as he gets into office, right? He... So I'm getting word that last night... Sorry, let me digress here for a second. I'm getting word last night that um, Dusted um, spoke about New Haven being a sanctuary city. New Haven is not a sanctuary city. Let me pause for a cause and let me tell you all something. This place does not become a sanctuary city unless there's an ordinance stating that ICE cannot, cannot touch anybody on the street. Do you hear me? They would have to really have a good reason. And why that is important is because there's this image that um, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, when they come to snatch somebody up, that it's usually, you know, a hardened criminal. Actually, the people they go after are the people who tend to have the petty charges, the cases that really get thrown out, right? Now, the reason why this happens is because the media, the white media, does a very good job. And I'm not saying that kidnapping is okay. I never said that domestic violence or sexual assault. I'm not saying any of that is okay. Don't go kill nobody and tell tell people CJ said so. I'm not saying that. Don't, let's not get this fucked up. What I'm saying is, is that you have people who might have, I don't know, had, you know, a small marijuana charge, nothing to write home about, maybe had like a little ticket, right, situation, you know, small, small charges things that could get argued down, things that do not require you to get removed. Sometimes ICE takes you, not even for criminal charges, sometimes it's because, you know, your documents expired and you just, your name just came up on the list. So let's not get confused here, right? Immigration and Customs Enforcement have every right. Now, let me dig a little deeper into that. When we say make New Haven a sanctuary city, currently in New Haven, there are only two churches that are considered sanctuary. That is the church on the green right there, first um, congregation, right? And the other one across from it, those two churches, that's it. Punto Final. Actually, I don't even think it's that one. It's one out in East Haven. I'm seeing it, but I can't remember the name. But the point that I'm trying to make is we do not have sanctuary spaces, right? What I mean by that, if I were being, um, you know, if I had ice on my back and I knew they were coming to try to take me, you know, you got to really understand how immigration works. The misperception is that immigration only comes for hardened criminals. That's not true. That is not true. I've seen it firsthand. There will be someone as simple as they didn't get their documentations updated in time, right? They didn't get their green card in time. They're still filing to be legal in this country. And so for that reason, 
you know, they get collected. Your name comes up on the list. First and Summerfield is one of them. Yes, correct. Thank you. Um, but here's the point I'm trying to make. We do not have sanctuary spaces. We only have the two churches. And here's the other thing. That's if they have the capacity to take you. Do not get confused and think that just because the church is there, they'll take everybody. They can't. I mean, let's be reasonable here. There's only but so much room. And it takes work to hold somebody in sanctuary. And I'm saying that from firsthand experience, my friend. All right? Just because I don't like to be seen or I'm not as published or whatever the fuck it is. I mean, I don't get the most media attention. I'm not asking for it. Let's not get confused. I'm not the, the acceptable activist. So I do not expect to be written positively about, but I also do not expect to be the face of the movement. And I'm fine with that, right? Because that's not a problem to me. The point is, when you're doing a sanctuary case, you have to have people who literally man the fort. So I'll draw reference to a couple of the cases I've done, right? There was one uh, with Marcos where we would take turns visiting him, keeping him company, bringing his family, bringing him food, um, you know, different things like that. Because when someone is in sanctuary, they're void of interacting with society. And if you know how you felt with quarantine, just imagine pre-quarantine when you could hear everybody outside, when you could tell that there's signs of life outside, but you cannot be out there because you have to sit in the basement of a church. You hear what I'm saying? In the basement of a church, okay? And it's a church. So you also have to be respectful of certain other things. Iglesia de Dios Pentecostal is the other one. Thank you for that in uh, Fairhaven. Um, but you see the point that I'm trying to make. There's not like a plethora of places that someone could hide because you literally have to hide, right? We've had cases where we've literally, because we, we do have in the rapid response for immigration, we have our own underground railroad. You won't hear me talk about it much because that's why it's a fucking railroad. But the way we move, we have to do it very carefully. We have to make sure that if we have a case where we're trying to keep someone safe, very few people can even know where that is, all right? You literally have to have very select few, and even especially with the media, you have to be careful because the media is very good for showing up on the case and then doing the opposite. You see that with Rhonda, right? Because Megan Friedman is going to sit there and act like she wasn't all about writing about what was wrong with the police commission and the policing in Hamden up until more recently when she decided to be the lynch rope, the lynching rope, right? The New Haven registers the tree. Megan, you're the rope. There was no need for you not only to call out, uh, put Rhonda's full government name out there, but to also her picture. Come on, man. And then to write an article that vindictively, and then to not just write one, but two, get the fuck out of here. But back to Dusted. Meanwhile, in New Haven, Here's Dusted Elliker acting and playing the part and pretending to think and say that he knows about a sanctuary city. Broke that down there for you like a dime bag. You feel me? A sanctuary city means that you have not just two churches, but the city itself will not allow ICE to take someone, including the courts. Now, as it stands, it's supposed to be 
that they cannot touch you if you're in the courtroom. But we've seen them come into the courthouse, right? We've seen them. We've seen them come into the courthouse. We've seen them show up outside the courts because there's no ordinance telling them they cannot do that. There's nothing. What this means is, is that, you know, void of a hospital. Now, the hospitals, I will say this. Most times, of course, you're going to have the racist and the trumpets, okay? You're going to have that. But my point is, you know, you have this situation where people have nowhere to go. Justin Elliker, Justin, let me tell you something, right? A sanctuary city means that you cannot allow someone to be detained no matter where they're at, meaning that instead of hiding in the basement of a church, they can walk around and actually breathe without fear of being apprehended. It also means, let me add a comma to that sentence, it also means that the police cannot aid immigration and customs enforcement. So, Dusted, if you're talking about a sanctuary city, my friend, let's do this the right way and not the white way, okay? Don't sit there and pretend like you know what you're talking about when you and I both know the chances of you telling NHPD to lay back off of the immigrants is slim to none. You know that. Because you've put a lot of work and a lot of effort into your policing. When everybody else was up in Hartford talking about capping the rent and livable wages, your ass was up there with Chief Jacobson talking about we need more money for police. Now, I see we have J1 Carter on the call. Uh, I want to see if he could get some audio in. J1, you mind saying hi? Let's see if we could hear you. I don't know if he heard me. I think he's having some connectivity issues. Hey, Jay. This is the best I could do at the moment. This is the best he could do. Amy, can you hear him? If anyone in the live, can you hear J1? I think you're still coming in super low. Just a tiny, tiny bit. Yeah, this, this is the best I could do at this time. Greta said, Greta, can you hear him clearly? I'm just doing a quick audio test. We're doing it on the fly, guys. Sorry. Okay, she can hear you. So, all right, we can hear you. You might have to like talk up. I don't know how close you are to your machine, but as best as you could do, we're gonna rock with that. So, Jay is a local businessman and he's very politically active. And he's also a member of the New Haven Civilian Review Board. Now, Jay Wan, before you came on, I was just backdropping on the horseshit that's happening in Hamden to the former police commission chair Rhonda Calwell, but also talking about Dusted Elliker because apparently all of a sudden, once again, when it's convenient to his campaign, he cares about immigrants. This is the same person who knows that we have been asking for undocumented people to be alders and he ignored that. So he wants a sanctuary city. I, I, I can't even. Jay, you want to tell us a little bit about what's going on right now with the CRB? Yeah, well, what I can say in regards to the CRB is we are in this transition period where folks whose terms are up, um, they're either going to be reappointed, they have to go through the process once again, or they can be fulfilled or replaced by someone that the community um, appoints to be their representative. 
um, in addition to the business that we're still at hand for, uh, we recently hired a consultant who will be responsible for taking care of documents and uploads and making sure that things are um, up to date in regards to being accessible to the city's website, whether it's notes, whether it's the timestamps um, for our meetings that we have and for our subcommittee meetings. Um, in addition to that, we are having a meeting soon where we're gonna be discussing um, legal um, advisement. Um, there should be an attorney who would be able to be on call when we have particular cases that is outside of our experience or purview because you know we are volunteers and and some of our actual experience and workforce has nothing to do with um, per se law so with that being the case we want to have experts to work with us as we are looking at complicated cases that needs the real attention to move move things forward so I'll, I'll take a break from the CRB. At the that end. sounds good. So let me ask you something. So I found out last night, um, actually, I, I found out a little before last night, but word on the street is that we have a couple of bad cops that are going to go to the Hamden Police Department. One of them, actually, is one of the officers involved in the Randy Cox case, and another one is a bad cop out of Bridgeport. As a member of the CRB, how do you feel about that? And do you feel like the CRB of New Haven really has the capacity and the allowance to challenge, you know, this? Because in my opinion, why are these cops being allowed to transfer without the Civilian Review Board being involved? And I'm saying that in particular regarding the one from New Haven. Well, what I would like to address is the framework we, as a body or entity, we can only technically do and conduct business according to what our boundaries are, which is the actual framework um, and bylaws that our board um, has created or drafted. And it's also go along with the state's allowance of what we're actually able to do. So it trickles down from the state on where we're capped at and what are our boundaries. And then we as well have to adopt those and embrace as much of that as we can. But in this particular moment, even with the case itself, uh, it, it, was, it was beyond the CRB because the chief of police could actually also handle their own disciplinary actions where the CRB is not involved at all. So in this particular moment with the Randy Cox case, this was particularly handled directly with the chief and the upper management there where we didn't really have much of a say, but we were able to have a quick discussion to give to the chief on what we believe. What I do think in this particular moment with the cop, like you said, is transferring. I definitely want to get more information on that myself, but I also think that um, these things are happening not because of singularly events, right? These events, although they're different entities at play, but they're all part of the same system. So we cannot just look at it as well, this just happening as a one-time event. No, this is a collective of events. And each entity has its own play on either making the machine move forward or we can actually make progress on changing things to protect people and, and actual folks that are always exploited. In this particular moment, I don't think that's the best thing for Hamden um, or just for residents of New Haven because when we're looking at what's been happening, this past uh, budget, um, the, the tax assessment went up 40% in New Hallsville. 
and that correlates to rents increasing and that correlates to when leasing have to be renewed families are going to be moving out and there's a potential chance that some of those families are going to be moving to Hampton. so with those families probably potentially being exposed to Hampton officers this can cause a potential issue that's interesting um so i hear what you're saying about you know the different layers involved right so for me as someone who was one of many involved in the demand for a civilian review board and also as someone who knows the former chair police commission chair Hamden, um Hamden police commission how the fuck is it you know here's what i'm seeing right I feel like these are just window dressing to appease the public. And what happens is um, they put these systems in place so that on the surface, it all looks like it's working. But in the background, it's being disabled, right? Because as I say for the title of this show, the puppets of the ruling class is the police. So to keep that in check, they have to make sure they have certain things in place. I'm not saying that the CRB is the strength. I'm not saying that that police commission is the strength. I'm just saying that certain people are going to make sure that we have certain type of police officers out there to the extent, because from what I understand with the Civilian Review Board of New Haven and from what I'm realizing with the Hamden Police Commission, right, for what you just said with the bylaws, how could you have these entities functioning, but you do not have policies and procedures in place, not only to govern them, right? Because you did that part. You made sure that you got it in formation. You made sure that, you know, you got it up and active. But what you didn't do is give them the capacity to do what the fuck they need to do. In that whole formation of these entities, what should have happened in my humble opinion, is that you should have also ensured that these folks have what they need. How is it that the Hamden Police Commission does not have like a time frame for terms? How is it that you have people serving on the commission and it's just like you'll just wake up one day and say, you know what, I don't like this person anymore. I think their term has ended because essentially that is part of what contributed over there and what has and is contributing right now and i say that and i'm pointing that out because the attack is on a black woman so you see when one of the slaves get out a check we make sure that the policy is kind of shaky enough so we can kick them the fuck out and i feel like with the new haven civilian review board a similar if not the same thing is happening because you know we had a new haven civilian review board before but because of the lack of um capacity their inability to function beyond their limited scope, meaning there was a lot of gatekeeping. There was a lot of processes and procedures that were put upon them. So what would happen is the public lost interest. That being said, how do you feel in terms of the public's opinion and interaction with the CRB? Can you talk to me about that? As I really think that we're still having a challenge marketing and getting enough exposure of the current CRB. And I also think that, you know, there's not just one answer just for that because you can't just group everybody in the same box. But I do know that with some of the conversations that I have engaged with in one particular, 
uh, what's really an issue and what can be an issue is when when folks encounter the cops on a, a time frame where the cops are just truly not protecting the victim's best interests, um, they just lose hope kind of in the system. And when folks are going through or went through a traumatic experience, they, the person you can legally call on to get things right is the police officers. However, when there's tension in the air because of contract negotiations, there's tension in the air because there's lack of a resources for the officers to respond to certain calls where the prioritized calls. Um, people don't even want to complain at this point because they think that nothing is going to be done. And that's where, you know, our exposure and, and showing that we have the capacity and the ability to, to help push their concerns forward comes into play. But there's a bit of, like you said, and like you understand and are aware, that there's a bit of this internal structure that is also becoming part of the, uh, the burden itself for the CRB to fully function as it should. And again, we're dealing with multiple people who are volunteering their time. So with some of the meetings, you got to have enough folks to be calm. It just, it just, there's a, there's a quite a few things that are happening. Um, that, that is kind of part of the reason why things is not moving forward as it should. Wow. So can you talk to us a little bit, um, since you're, you know, how did you even get involved with the CRB and also what have you, or, um, what can we notice about the CRB and its interaction with the city and the police? Has anything changed from when you first started to now? Um, for me, I, I've noticed that um, officers' disciplines um, has shifted where certain things that they have gotten away with, they're now put on notice. Um, and because of that, you have now seen a difference and also, there's been officers who are a little bit more aware that there's an accountability measure that's in place. And because of that, they're also a bit, I'll say, more, more aware of the way they're now interacting with folks. And, you know, just being tired is not an excuse. Um, what, I've known, what I've also learned while being up here is the trainings that are involved. But at the same time, um, there are people who are willing to just do this work. And because of the work they're doing with the CRB, you know, promotions happen. And people are being acknowledged that we are now turning in a place where there is conversations and dialogue that is happening. And there is recognition when officers are doing good work. And there's recognition for when officers have done something wrong, that they are being disciplined. And you can see that there's a difference in the way they interact moving forward. Wow. So, all right. So New Haven has a civilian review board. At one point, Hamden was grappling with that. It never happened, obviously, right? Do you feel like part of that was impacted by how things went and is going with the civilian review board in New Haven? Or do you feel they're completely separate? I technically don't want to just rely on it separate because again this is all part of a system all of this is a part about data it's all of this is about uh there's really no boundaries of crime it's not that um something can happen in new haven and it don't cross over to new hamden or vice versa i just think that it's about political agendas um if you want something you will make it happen 
and you will see the, the, the resources that when something is impacting a certain group of people or a particular person or someone of some type of influence or importance, you will see how they will respond to those moments and issues a bit with urgency or differently than they would with someone who is just, you know, just a normal person, I would say, a common person. I just know, and through my experience, is that when an administration wants something to get done, they will put in the work necessarily to make it happen. Um, and they would they would do just that. And we've seen how Hamden, when they needed things to be done on other issues or other departments, the type of work they put in to make it happen. I don't know, Jay, because you're saying they put in the work on Paul and Stephanie's case and then you know, she gets into power and she says, fuck that and fuck them too. Now, going back to that case, I love what you said about, you know, it does correlate in so many words because that's a big part of that case. The fact that um, Officer Eaton crossed that invisible line that many people didn't even know existed because remember, he came from Hamden all the way over to New Haven, right? And at one point, you had three different sets of officers. You had Yale PD involved, Hamden PD involved, and New Haven. So three different directions. Speaking of our friends at Yale, <laughs> how has the interaction been between the Yale Police Department? Well, we don't have actual capacity or jurisdiction, you would say, or we don't have the means to actually look at their particular complaints are just strictly New Haven. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I gotta I gotta pause you for a call. So you're telling me these fuckers are taking up our city to show up on um Dixwell Avenue and shoot at a New Haven uh police officer who's shooting at um Paul Witherspoon, right? But we cannot get involved in their shit so they could get oh all right, all right, that's not just Yale, you got Southern which is state police, you have Alberta's Magnus, right? Like UNH, right? Like there's certain private entities that the CRD for New Haven, it's not within our boundaries to um, review their cases. We could make an, an, a statement or we can make an assumption or we could try to get some fact finding, but technically they don't have to um, cooperate with us. But see, that's what I'm saying. Like, okay, fine. So the schools have their own system and then as needed, it gets escalated to the city, right? Um, for the exception where it might go in the opposite way where it'd be the state trooper and vice versa. Now, you just had this officer who mishandled Randy Cox, a New Haven officer. How is it possible? And why was it allowed for this man to transfer? Okay, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like, you know, as, one of the members of the public, this is where I'll say, well, what, what is all of this? What does this help? Right now, in my opinion, having gone to a few of the New Haven Police Commission meetings, it's different than the ones for Hamden. The one in New Haven is mostly police officers, same as with Hamden, the exception with the one in New Haven, you get more of the black ones, right? Now, the point is, is that the difference again is New Haven has a civilian review board whereas Hamden does not. But now Hamden has become the home to the bad police. If I do bad things, I'll just go there. Do you see the Civilian Review Board 
starting to or get more involved in that? And if not, who is responsible for holding these officers accountable? Is it the police commission? Is it the... Well, that's the thing, right? Who holds these police officers accountable is the entity itself. So it's the town of Hamden, and in addition to it, the police commissioners that are appointed by the mayor, right? So you have to think about that. Um, depending on how these appointments are set up, you know, these appointments, you know, these appointees, they're, they're screened most likely, and certain questions are asked to see what their beliefs are or how they feel about certain particular moments and where they will probably lay on the line or lay on the side of the line in regards to making the choice. However, when we're looking at this particular moment, as you say, that the person who was involved in the Rain of Tusk case is now transferred into the Haven, that means they must have passed some type of screening process. That means they must have passed some type of preliminary screening process. And whatever red flags that were there either were not addressed or they were addressed in a way where they politicized or smoothed over saying that, hey, we have a, a demand or a certain amount of vacancy and we need people that are certified. And I'm sorry to say, but this person is certified and they meet our criteria and here we are. And that's the, you know, the, the crap that happens where they don't take the best interest of the people, but they take their agenda and push it forward. And they, they automatically calculate that, hey, at the end of the day, there's not enough votes for you to vote me out because y'all going to forgive or I already have a certain block of supporters who are strong supporters and they're going to rally against you in that booth to keep this transfer of power remaining. Now, in addition to what the CRB from New Haven can do, seeing that this particular officer transferred from New Haven, there'd have to be a conversation where legally we can have a conversation because there's certain points where we can have conversations with certain members, but it could be technically an illegal conversation and then it would be a conflict of interest for you to vote. That's part of our bylaws. Like, like what is an illegal meeting? What is an illegal conversation um, that we then have to now restrict ourselves or recuse ourselves from voting moving forward? But we could fact find, right? We could have a conversation with certain staff members from the legislative body in, in New Haven, who is part of our, our fact-finding group um, to help support the CRB, and we could get the right information. And then from there, we could begin to frame our narrative or frame our, 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 the, the way our perspective is on this particular matter, because we do have a voice as a body. That's interesting because I find it interesting that the CRB has bylaws, but somehow maybe they're just so busy the Hamden Police Commission does not. Because from what I've been hearing with them uh, by, by attending their meetings, you know, a lot of stuff with their procedures is up in the air. I find it interesting that the city of New Haven took the time and the, the Board of Alders to ensure that the Civilian Review Board is quite aware of its capacity and limitations. I'm just saying that, because that's that bullshit. Now, in saying all of that, um, can you talk to like some of the cases that the Civilian Review Board has been seeing and kind of give us an idea of what type of training you all have been through? Because I know you do some side, you know, training and stuff with NHPD or all right, so let's start with some cases. I can't go in detail per se, but what I can say is like there could be a complaint from a person who interacted with the police and the interaction wasn't in a professional manner. So meaning an officer may have said some words that wasn't kind, 
The officer may have said some words that could have been assumed threatening. The officer could have said words that just was very unprofessional. Um, we will review the case and we will be able to have access to reviewing not just the officer's um, body cam, but the other responding officer's body cameras too, because you're able to now get a bit of a, a more experience or more uh, deep in tune understanding of the elements. Did you have to do that? Like, have you done one of those types of things where you yeah. see the video and, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, we'll go to HQ, you, you know, first we got to set up a time to go to HQ, we'll set up a time. And in that, you know, room in internal affairs, we have the access to a particular case and we'll, they'll log us in, we'll review what we can review. Um, certain information is given to us if it's not to be redacted. Some things have to be redacted. Some things have to be requested to be unredacted, right? But the goal itself is to get as much accurate information as possible to allow us to assess the situation and to come up with solutions or to come up with disciplinary actions to no longer allow folks who felt wronged to allow that continue to uh, become a culture. We want to change that environment. Um, and, and there were cases, there's cases where people felt that it was excessive force, right? There's, there's cases where um, people felt that the response time wasn't as, as what, they sh what it should have been, right? So it could be several cases across the board where folks could complain. Um, now, in addition to some of the training, right, like for members on the board, um, from time to time, we would have additional training where we, we are able to understand or get some uh, education or knowledge on what officers are actually trained to do. And what they're trained not to do um and some of this is actually classroom work or actual hands-on work some of it is actually sitting down and going through webinars and zooms and, and other question and answer set seminars um to be able to get that understanding and what about your interaction with the public do you find like the public's involvement and so forth has increased changed anything so from my experience, I, I have to report to my Fairhaven management team periodically, and that's typically once every three months. Um, I have a time slot where I address the members of the CMT. Um, and after I'm done with my presentation, um, folks ask questions. And if I have an answer at that moment, I'll answer it. If I don't, I'll tell them, I'll get back to them and we'll work out what it looks like for me to answer that question. Um, in our CMT, we actually promote folks on how to get their complaint forms, where they're at, where they're located. And at that moment, for those who attend, you know, we hopefully, many of those folks would then let the community know as well that when certain issues arrive, I know, arise. And I know that for me, there's been times where folks who've been harmed or folks have been in a scenario where they're questioning whether they should file a complaint or not, I'll just automatically tell them, go file a complaint. Because it, at that particular moment, if you feel that something wasn't right, most likely probably something was not right, you know? So um, those things on our end, we're doing the best we can. But then there's also folks in the community that once they learn a part of the CRB, they're like, well, what the CRB is doing? What, what's, what's happening? I didn't know there was a CRB. And we still go through those moments where some folks just not are not aware or again like i said in the beginning 
the way we're marketing and the way we're pushing out the CRD is not hitting, it's not a table conversation with the family. Like it's still, there's certain areas of the behavioral community that's not even aware of what we're doing. That's, that's interesting. So recently, um, you know, the New Haven Register did a little write up here um, based upon the number of cases, according to the current police chief Jacobson, right? Now into a year of being the chief, he said that um, he's received nearly 12,000 more calls of service so far this year than at the same point in 2022, all right? He sees the increase in calls of police service from over 37,000 in the first six months of 2022 to 48,000 in the first six. So that's a, a big jump there. Do you see that reflected in the outreach to the CRB? Because do you see any alignment there with the number of calls into the police alongside the number of calls? It depends on the month, honestly. So typically, um, when a complaint happens, it, it there's an email blast of all the members that the complaint has been filed or the complaint has started its process. And what I can say is there was a point in time that there were numerous amounts of times I was getting a lot of emails of, of complaints that were filed and started. And if I were to compare now, I've seen a bit of a decrease, but just based off of perception, I don't have the actual data in front of me to make that an accurate statement. Fair enough. I mean, I'm just saying that, in my opinion, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about the need for more police presence, right? Yes. And I wonder if that number is really being skewed to befit the hands above them, because, right, I don't see how more police helps houselessness. I don't see how more police helps joblessness. Mm. Just recently, while driving down, you know, Dixwell Ave and Whaley Ave, I'm looking around at our surroundings. You know, we could create jobs, temp jobs for those in need very easily and have them help us beautify our streets. But I don't hear anybody talking about that, right? I see a question in the chat. Does the CRB has any mechanism for carrying calls like tracking residents who abuse the system to harass people of color? Well, you know, what I would say is this, right? Each individual have their own break-even cost to live, uh, whatever quality of life. Okay, there's different levels of quality. But there's folks who months, they don't have enough money to go through the month. And then there's certain folks who have enough money to carry you through the end of the month. However, everybody's break-even point is different. And everybody needs and wants can be different. May have some similarities, but then there will be levels to it. So with that being the case, um, that is kind of like the conversation that folks need to really have on addressing the quality of life. Because it's... Well, wait, hold on. Before you go further, I think this question is more about talking about the toxic white people, right, who harass people. And I'm saying that um, I'm verifying that because in regards to Rhonda Caldwell, right, we have Al Lotto who decided to create the Hamden Crime Watchers, which really he should rename that to Rhonda Caldwell's fan group, 
if you ask me, right? Because he has dedicated his life, right, to blaspheming a single Black mother. This could affect her livelihood. This could affect her in so many different ways, but nobody gives a fuck because there's another one of us. The question being asked is, does the Civilian Review Board, do they have any way of monitoring this type of harassment? Because this is, this is racism. So I guess the question is, do you all monitor for racist acts? Well, when it comes out of police officers, we have the capacity of pulling up their profile. We have the capacity of... Right, but when it comes to like non-police in particular, I would expect it for the police. So basically what you're saying is, if it's non-police related, if we have like a person like Al Lotto, who has gotten away with, I mean, he has written letters to her boss, her place of work. He has created Facebook posts. He has, you know, and I'm not just him. Let's not give him only the credit. He has his little crew. And they've done these things. It got to a point that my friend couldn't even answer her phone after 9 p.m. How fucked up is that? She would turn it off. This is a true story, right? There were signs put up. I mean, the harassment. And, and I'm sharing hers while inferring mine, if you hear what I'm telling you. Okay? So the question is, does the CRB intend to or does it currently have any type of way of monitoring and dealing with these types of situations because really and truly these types of racist acts are seemingly not addressed because when you go to the police now and you say listen i have a tire in my car because you're not sorry to tire in my car uh uh nail in my tire you hear me now a nail in my tire um because you know this racist white dude he doesn't like my friends so you know now they're fucking with is there any way, because when you go to the police department and you say this stuff, they're going to look at you like, well, until you have a situation where we could validate, once you start to bring up this part of it, they'll ignore you completely. So, Do you hear what I'm saying? So, like, can you comment? Well, regarding the CRB and the way it's currently, um, the way it's currently framed, we, I haven't seen any complaint where we had to address a private citizen. Now, don't get me wrong, when a private citizen complained about an officer and we, we learned that that complaint was not an accurate complaint, um, we have the capacity to dismiss that complaint um, and we have the capacity to like educate on like these type of complaints shouldn't be exaggerated to, to, to keep some type of framework or narrative or continue to evolve. Um, however, when it comes out of private citizens, I haven't seen us have that actual capacity to go after another private citizen or to hold another private citizen accountable. I know for just my personal experience, when it's a private citizen, we have to get you know a lawyer involved, an attorney involved, probably do a cease and desist because this type of work here is considered like damn near harassment. And that could trigger folks to do other things that can be considered Nuance. So if someone filed multiple police reports on the person of color, would that bring attention to it? Because that's another thing, because these racists will go out there and they'll do their shit and then they'll turn around and then they'll continually criminalize us. So they'll make it seem like we're the problem when you're the one harassing me. So I guess the question is, what? 
how can this be escalated where the CRB gets involved? Because like I said, the problem is when it comes to this level of trolling and harassment, see, this is what used to happen way back when. The problem with us is we expect the racism to look the same and it doesn't. It really doesn't. It, it's the same, same thought process with different actions, right? When you have a white man that creates a whole platform dedicated to blaspheming a black woman, now she also has the right to freedom of speech. She also has the right to freedom of expression. But in this shithole, we are not really allowed those rights. It's to an extent. This is the same state that is studying racism. You hear what I'm telling you? How the fuck do you study racism? What are you going to have classes? What, what does that even mean? And then we turn around and say things like Connecticut is all about diversity, equity, and inclusivity. Well, Hamden definitely believes in that because they're like, we're so DEI, we'll take your bad cops too. We don't give a fuck. Did you just fuck that black person up? Did you just fuck that brown person up? We don't care. Come here. And I wonder, and I'm asking, where does the CRB get in here? Or is it that that's another limitation? Because it sounds like. Yeah, that's definitely not within our uh, current framework to be able to get involved in that private to private um, dispute. All right. Although our name is the Civilian Review Board, but it's really um, against police officers, law enforcement in particular. So here's another one for consideration. Since New Haven, the New Haven Police Department and the Hampton Police Department have their little sidebar convo and they decided we just go and fuck around with these city lines and we're going to make it where we could get in each other's business to the point of jurisdiction, we could hand it off like a baton. So in other words, they have allowed each other to get in each other's spaces more so that they could, I guess, work with each other, whatever. Would the same happen with the CRB? Do you see the New Haven Civilian Review Board doing a similar thing? Do you see you all at the point where you start organizing to have a Hamden Civilian Review Board? Do you even see that as I believe that can be definitely possible, but the question would be, who would be the people to like make that a priority? Because um, at this point, um, I haven't heard that conversation, at least in my spaces. It could be these conversations could happen, but it hasn't been in the spaces that I've I've frequented. But uh, something I do want to add too to the lines, right? Um, every so amount of years the census take place and boundaries are somehow shifted. And what I've learned during this uh, session where they were picking and addressing which addresses are going to which wards, I also learned that if legislators from the state wants certain particular properties to be under their um, boundaries, some homes or maybe a side of a street from New Haven could actually shift into Hamden. In oh, wait process. a minute, wait a minute. You can't just leave that line there. Tell us more. Yeah, uh, this is the things that I've learned about setting boundaries when it comes down to um, municipalities. So when census takes place, it's, there's a population count. And at that moment, it also, also helps represent who is going to be the representatives for particular areas 
based upon the average means of population count. So moving forward, if a particular representative is battling, you know, a, a particular rank representative and the lines begin to shift, like like right where the boundary is that we know of for Hamden and New Haven, where one side is, of the street is Hamden and the other side of the street is New Haven, there's there's no legislation that says that other side of New Haven can't become Hamden or vice versa. The other side of the street that's Hamden cannot become New Haven. And folks are not aware of this. And I wasn't aware of this. I thought that once you are in that particular area, you are set. But technically, you're not safe. No, but that's what I was just talking about. Because when you go back to the Paul and Stephanie case, that was the rationale to kind of like put it under the rug why it was so fucking messy. Because really, when we come down to the dollars and cents, the city spent, both cities and the, the school, when you have these officers out on these calls, that's money, that's time, that's resources, that's you dedicating yourself to that particular scenario for however long it takes, which will distract you from other things happening within the city. That particular night, that whole corner was lit up so fucking much. If you didn't know better, you'd think it was the let out. That's how many officers were there, Right. So all three entities put out money and resources. And what a lot of people didn't realize, you know, even though they saw it, it, it didn't occur to them, wait a minute, why was that even possible? Because if you're within a certain scope, you shouldn't be allowed to go on, but they never really clarify what that is. Now, another thing that's happening and has happened, our friend Dusted Elliker has been very dedicated to ensuring, as is Miss Lauren Garrett, um, the mayor of Hamden, they have been stockpiling military equipment. Now, this is nothing new in the state of Connecticut. The Middletown Police Department does it. There's other police departments that hoard, you know, I don't know what the fuck is going to be happening that we need a tank on Shelton Avenue for. Why do we need one? Somebody tell me, right? Now, in terms of stuff like that, and the purchasing and use of military equipment. Does the CRB have any involvement? Because here's the part that I'm not understanding. Why isn't there representation on, you know, other committees from the CRB? What do I mean? How come nobody from the CRB is present at the police commission meeting? Or is that happening? Um. What I can say is regarding the CRB members witnessing or at least um, attending some of the police commission meetings, it has happened, but it has not happened in a high volume amount of times. And I don't also want to speak for other members who may have, who, who probably do this consistently or not consistently, but I know for me, I only been to one police commissioner meeting um, while being a member of the CRB. And even prior to being a CRB member, I've been to like a handful of other police commission meetings as well. Um, what I do know is I don't recall a police commissioner coming to any of our meetings, um, except for when we incepted or created the CRB this time, um, a couple years back. Um, what I do know is at that point in time, it's just pretty much up to a member to just attend or if they have the time ability to attend, right? Because a lot of these meetings 
are not happening the same night, but they're happening on different time frames and spaces. And it becomes more of a like, hey, do I have time to actually attend? Um, now, in regards to um, stockpiling of these war machines or these machines that have come from the places that were once war zones, um, it's, it goes back down to the dollars and cents, right? Like, we have these larger contracts. And this is some of the research I did on my own, but these bigger, larger contracts that took place with the acts of war, um, the machines that are not being used are being sold at a discount. And Brother, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up, pause. I don't give a fuck if this shit is on clearance, my friend. Yeah. Why do we need it? Um, Why do we need it? This is where I'm about to go with my next statement, right? And sometimes some of the stuff was actually donated, right? Forget clearance. It was given for free. Um, so we got experts in the room or experts that would be in a room when you have to disseminate information to the community. And some of those experts um, understand human emotion. So I remember where there was a community meeting where folks were, you know, looking to hold some of these uh, municipalities accountable to purchasing these or getting or receiving these big machines, tanks or whatever it could be. And at this point, the answer was we have taken off the weapons of war, right, these large caliber weapons, and we're going to use them only for civilian or rescue operations in the event that some you know, act of God happens where now we need these heavy machines, heavy duty machines to go helter helter and, and help rescue people. And that was pretty much the answer. And because, you know, a human and a person who who look at, you know, some of these catastrophes that happen with floods and bad storms, um, it, it, it kind of be depressed. I'm sorry, we have Manny Camacho who just um, signed in. Manny, you want to say hi real quick? Hello, hello. So just to catch you up really quick, Manny, um, we have been talking about the policing in New Haven and in Hamden. Um, Dusted Elliker claiming New Haven to be a sanctuary city. And um, the public, the attempted public lynching of the former Hamden Police Commission Chair Rhonda Caldwell, right? And so we have a member of the New Haven Civilian Review Board here with us and a businessman and politically active individual, a black friend to the community, right? He's black, black mister. I don't even know how to say this, Jay. <laughs> what don't you do? Because he's everywhere. He's our friend. He's my friend. He's your friend. And he's here talking about the CRB. Um, sorry if I just fucked that up. But you're coming in on the tail end of this very heated discussion because we're talking about the military equipment now, because what I don't understand is, why do we need it? Why do we need it? I don't get it. Help me make it make sense, Manny. What's your thoughts on that as a younger? Yeah, no, um, I mean, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I don't get it either. Um, it, it's, to me, I mean, you know, I, I mean, I constantly ask myself, make it make sense, right? <laughs> if if you can make it make sense, uh, I, I think that help all of us just a little bit, <laughs> you know. But um, no, no, I, I, I don't get it myself. What I'm saying is, and I hear what Jay Wan is saying, if this is not his fault. Please don't take it the wrong way. I mean, I just got so fucking mad just thinking about it. 
I started speaking in gibberish. But the point is, is that we have people who are houseless and jobless. Why do we need military equipment that's being donated or being purchased on clearance? Now, the other piece of this is the Civilian Review Board of New Haven um, has been, you know, the people wanted it, we have it, but the restrictions on it is actually pretty fucking ridiculous. Because recently it was discovered that one of the officers involved in the mishandling of Randy Cox, who, by the way, is permanently disabled, just so you all know, right? He's permanently disabled. And one of the officers involved in that case is now going to be part of the Hamden Police Department. Now, what I'm not understanding is why is that even possible? I'm not blaming this on the Civilian Review Board, but I'm giving the eye to the police commission, right? Because what what I'm also not understanding, I could see why the mayor and the police commissioners don't come to the civilian review board meetings because this is for the people, right? So it should be a safe space for us. However, how come it was not required that the civilian review board be present to represent themselves and cases at the police commission meeting? Can you all comment on that? Manny, you yeah, that's actually a, a, a very, very valid point. You know, um, it's it almost reminds me, actually not almost, it, it pretty much reminds me of, um, you know, when they allow people to, quote unquote, attend meetings, right? Uh, but you can't speak, <laughs> you know? Uh, and and it, it's like the meeting's about you, or, or something that involves you, and you know they're saying, "Well, yeah, you can come in, um, but we're you know we're not giving you the option to speak, right?" Um, but here, I mean, you know, it's not even that, right? Um, and and so this is something we see a lot of times, and and many different um, aspects um, when these meetings are held, right? Um, or these these gatherings and they include you know uh, topics and, and aspects of life that some you know people entity like the civilian Re review board should be in right and should be able to represent themselves right but no you know they're not even given that seat at the table right or or sometimes we see that you know the quote unquote, the hand is put out there, right, to have them, uh, you know, be there to represent themselves. But there's almost a gatekeeping to that, right? And and this, I mean, I've seen firsthand so many times myself, right, where an entity is, is brought to the meeting and or they're not brought to the meeting, but they're discussed about and there's no one there to, you know, to represent the entity. Right. Uh, this is uh, this is something that happens way too often than it should. Um, you know, it, it's it's and how I see it, you know, it's it's like, you know, and many people are probably gonna disagree with this, but I see it the equivalent of, you know, if we're having an entire court trial, <laughs> right, and uh, we're talking about, you know, the defendant. And um, well, we say, well, the defendant's not even allowed in the courtroom, 
We'll have all the witnesses. We'll have the prosecutor. We'll have the jury. We'll have the judge. We'll have everything that's against the defendant, um, but not the public defender or you know the defense attorney or the defendant themselves. They're not even allowed in the courtroom. You know, and <laughs> so it's like, well, well, what's the point here? You know, right? Like, if you're not going to allow an entity to represent themselves. Correct. You know, at the very least. Correct. Why? Why? What do you think about that, Jay? I just think that uh, that's not singular. That's part of the system itself, right? Where they pick and choose the standard for what they means, like, you know, representation, right? They, they talk about how you're supposed to be represented and, you know, in certain cases, you're supposed to be present supposed to be some level of transparency but we have learned with our involvement and we have learned through our experiences that they pick and choose on what those words mean and what what continues to happen is um at a certain point with this power that do exist in, in whatever branch of government it is that we're looking into um they take these moments and they use it against the folks that they say is the minority voice. Because um, for some reason, whatever survey they like to calculate from or get their data from, they kind of always want to represent, you know, the, the, the majority. Um, but sometimes I'm like, I don't see your data actually representing the, the entire story. But here we are where folks of power can take limited information and still make life-changing decisions for a lot of folks that can be affected on a negative end. So here's a question for you, Manny. And I'd like you, Jay, to respond to this because of what I'm asking. Manny, what's your thoughts on the New Haven Civilian Review Board? Do you feel like it's effective? Just in general, how do you see it? Mm, that is a good question. Um, you know, I, I think at this current moment, um I don't I don't really think it is. Um and and the reason why I say that again is um I don't think I don't think that the the New Haven CRB is really given that seat at the table that they should. Right? That they should be given. Um or or, or even that the the voice uh, the volume of their voice is not amplified to the level it should be where they actually can be effective where they actually can make a difference and i'm not saying that they aren't that, that's the, that's not also what i'm saying right i'm not saying that it's like it does absolutely nothing or no i'm not saying anything like that but if you ask me is it entirely effective? Is it entirely, you know, is it living up to its full potential? No, you know, and, and it's not. And there's a lot of factors that go into it, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not operating at the level that it could be. What's your thoughts on that? So, 
there's limitations on exactly what this body can do. Um, one thing in particular is when you have folks who, you know, it's based on volunteer time, um, and then there's folks who have way more time on their hands in particular folks with families or growing families, you may see a difference of involvement. Um, I know one particular example, there are folks who from the very installment of this form of CRB, we ask that certain processes allow folks to not have to go directly to the headquarters on Union Station to review cases. Um, and because of bureaucracy and the way how things work with our government, where certain things is a slow turning cause when it comes to me, um, we have now made progress to start to have a bit of moment or momentum for being able to have an off-site review room. Um, and, and it has taken about three years. So, yeah, when we're talking about well, what Mandy said and what many others probably could say, we're not at our full potential. There's these moments that are happening within our structure that those who have the real power, which is the administration, um, they, they're going through this process, which to us seems very unreal on the fact that it's taken two or three years to secure locations, to secure bids, to secure the actual work that's needed to put things out to allow the infrastructure to be built for only because, you know, there's other fires or other things that are priority in which the administration handles those. So that's just one example. And there could be many other examples of why things can be what it is for the CRB as well. That's very interesting. So Manny, again, being one of our young activists in the community, I'm gonna ask this dangerous question and I know you're smiling. How do you feel about the current state of policing? You know, uh, you always get when you can tell how I look on the other side of the, <laughs> of the screen. Um, uh, well, before, before I, I touch that, I mean, I, de I just want to echo what, what Jaywon said and the fact that there is because of so many limitations placed on these, uh, really, really great opportunities, right? Um, like the CRB, these limitations make things just so much more difficult than they need to be. Um, and so I always definitely want to echo that because that is the case for so many great things, you know, in our communities. And really, it's just when the limitations are placed, you know, you're sitting there three, four, even five years sometimes waiting, <laughs> you know, for, for the results to happen. Um, so I, I just want to echo that. But so my thoughts on the current state of policing in, in New Haven. Um, well, again, as a young activist, I mean, I've been on the front lines for a lot of things police-related. Um, I was there for the Randy Cox case, right? 
for the mishandling of Randy Cox. I was there um, during the, the 2020 protests for George Floyd. I was there even for just local issues with the police department. Um, you know, I, I and I don't... What, what's always kind of separated me in these conversations is I'm not on the perspective of, well, just get rid of the police entirely, right? And I think a lot of people in my years of doing this have sometimes thought that of me, right? That I'm on that perspective of, you know, just get rid of all police officers. No, no, right? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is, well, one, get rid of the, the, the ones who are just absolutely doing terrible things. Yeah, I mean, get rid of those, right? The, the ones who are, you know, have multiple cases and like have a track record of so many violations and, you know, uh, pulling people of color over for no reason or harassing them. Yeah, get rid of those people. Absolutely. I'm behind that 100%, right? But, you know, you you also definitely have police officers who, who actually believe in the job, right? Who actually believe in, in protecting the community. Um, so when it comes to New Haven policing, um, you know, I, I've always strived for conversations of, well, there absolutely needs to be much more advanced training, right? And, and by advanced, I mean, you know, forget just the, you know, inclusivity training, you know, and the de-escalation tactics. Because, so, yeah, these people, you know, these, these officers get that training, but does that necessarily stop them from doing, you know, the, the things we've seen them do? Obviously not, right? So we need to, as a community, as, as you know, people who want our own neighborhoods to be safer, right, we need to establish, you know, some other forms of training, right? Or some other methods or tactics or something, right? To ensure that these police officers are, one, not only getting, you know, the necessary uh, knowledge and, and training on how community policing should work, how it needs <laughs> to be, Right, in in twenty twenty three and and so on, right? Because we're, we're an ever growing society, so tactics that you were using ten fifteen years ago, you know, I mean, come on now, that doesn't work anymore. So those conversations, I believe, always need to be held, right? Um, and two. Something that I've discussed is the outsourcing of police officers, right? And I get, I get that people in New Haven, you know, our constituents in New Haven aren't lining up at the police department training headquarters, <laughs> you know, to become police officers. I get that. But what I've seen personally it's police officers coming from like Waterbury or police officers from Bridgeport, you know, and again, I'm not, I'm not bashing people, <laughs> but 
I was just having this conversation the other day. People from Waterbury, from Waterbury, people from Bridgeport, people from these different cities are way different than people from New Haven. And so you take someone from the Waterbury Police Department and you put them in New Haven Police Department. It, I mean, if we're in a, a bit of a different bow there, you know? Uh, they could be more aggressive. They could be more lenient. I mean, it can go either way, right? So there's the outsourcing of, of, of hiring police officers out of New Haven. I think that's that also contributes to a problem. But again, it's a double-edged sword, right? We have a, a immense shortage of police officers in New Haven. So I don't know. And overall, the police department's a mess in New Haven. It is. That, I mean, that's an understatement. That is an understatement. Um, that's a big understatement. It is. And let me ask you, Jay Wan, um, because a very big term was brought up. How do you? How would you define community policing? Is he still there? Jay, are you still there? I see his bubble. Well, while we wait for him to tune back in, Manny. Oh, wait, there he goes. Jay, how would you define? The way I would, do, the way I would define it is actually someone who is comfortable with actually living within the community and being a, a good resource. There's one thing when you could have an officer that you could actually walk up to and you, and you actually have a rapport and the energy that's there is a good motive, it's good intent. I'll give you an example. Um, what I thought was good community policing was knowing that a particular officer understands on how to get promoted and the way they want to be promoted is by working with elected officials with relaying good information, quality information, and being able to work with them on getting members of the community to help them with real live time information on some of the activity that is taking place that's lowering the quality of life in their community. But also at the same time, when you engage with some of these folks who are repeat offenders and folks who are actually not understanding that you know types of ways of making money that affects the community um but also showing them on how to go to the, the job training and sitting down and allowing them to learn about their you know insecurities of why they don't or feel like they are not worthy enough to earn positive money um i think they'll all come into play on what that community policing look like because not every officer is here to just punish and get a paycheck for punishing folks. Community policing should also have police officers allow them the time to show them that there should be another resource for them to get information or where to receive the information they need to get them in the right path if they're going through a tough time. I'll start with that. All right, fair enough. Now. I just want to remind folks of a quote by the late Dr. Eric Williams, right? Our former um, Prime Minister of Trans-Tobago, and he said, the future of the nation is in the backpack of our children, right? Manny has been out and about for a long time. And as shared, you know, he's had his share 
um, feelings and interactions in standing up and protesting against police brutality. I can attest to that because I've seen them there. I'm going to turn it over to Manny now and ask the same question. How would you define community? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> Jayvon knocked it out of the park. That's, I mean, you know, I would just say, you know, not to have an original answer, but I, that is that. That is the definition of community policing. Um, and um, I mean, I've raised that up at, at multiple community meetings and even like the you know, meetings with the police department is knowing that there's a police officer living on your street, living around the block from you, right? That you know on a personal level behind the badge, right? Like, you you can you can feel comfortable going to you know this the, the officer's house uh, and sitting down and having coffee with him or her right <laughs> uh, knowing that someone on your street or around the block that you have a personal relationship with their job their actual job is is keeping you safe and you trust them and you know you know them you have a bond with them right. Uh, but also an officer who, um, again, like I said, you know, takes the job with the utmost sincerity, being sincere about what that badge means, right? And the responsibility that that badge carries, right? That is, it's not just a, you know, uh, another work day for them, right? That they actually care about the people in their community, that they know the people in the community, right? That they could be walking down the street and, and you know, they know exactly who's living on that street, you know? I'm not saying they need to have photographic memory, <laughs> right? I know every single person's name, but I mean, hey, if they're living in that community three, four, five years, then yeah, by that time, you know, they should know those people, right? Um, they should have relationships with them. They should be making it like their job. It's a passion for them to be working with community members, to be working with community organizations, to be working with their elected officials, right? To bring the best results of public safety to their communities, right? To keep the community safe, right? I mean, this is what we're talking about when we talk about community policing, when we're talking about you know, that, that upstanding, you know, good citizen, right? <laughs> Who wants to keep their, their, their community safe, their neighbors safe, right? I mean, it's a person who, you know, you can go to at any moment, you know, regardless how, how uh, mild or severe the situation is, right? And know that when you go to that officer at any time, you know, uh, it happens, you know, that officer actually cares to help resolve the problem or the issue, whatever the case may be. Right. And so imagine having an entire city full of those officers, right. Of officers who care, who are passionate, who, who, who really love their communities and really love their, their neighbors and want them to be safe. Right? Can you just imagine, just take a moment to picture that 
an entire city full of those type of officers. I mean, that's that to me is a is a dream, right? And I say that with, with kind of two meanings: a, a dream and one meaning that it almost seems unreal to achieve. That's a hell of a but also a theory. dream. That's a hell of a but also, right? <laughs> You know, that's that's the virgin, right? A, a dream that is almost unable to achieve, which which is that's the the bad meaning for me. But the good meaning is, it's it's something that we should like. All the people who can <laughs> should be striving and working to make that dream not just not a dream, but a possibility, a realistic possibility. Right, like it shouldn't just be a dream to us. Like, oh, that'd be nice if it could happen. No, no, it should be. We need to make that happen. That's that's where my my focus is. That's amazing. Um, J1 had to jump off. You know, we did commit to an hour, so he has to go do his thing now. Like I said, I was trying to say, and I babbled it out because. You know, I'm trying to read notes and do this and do that. He's one of our more prominent black businessmen, and he's quite involved politically. And I really appreciate him taking the time to come and share his insights and updates on the Civilian Review Board, as well as his thoughts on current, um, the current policing scenario in New Haven, and as well, you know, a couple insights on the public attempted public lynching of the former Hamden Police Commission Chair Rhonda Caldwell. Now, before we close out, Manny, give me a couple of minutes of your time. I want to read something from the Korean People's Army and the Chinese People's Volunteers. And this is a letter to the Negro soldiers. I'm going to read excerpts from it um, that was entered into the U.S. Congressional Record in a 1954 hearing, right? And it goes, Negro soldiers, did you ever stop to think why you should be in Korea, fighting other colored people while lynchings, murders, and insults pile up against the Negro people at home. They tell you you are defending freedom here. What kind of freedom? Since the Korean War began, there have been more lynchings and killings in all parts of the country than ever before. Morris Scott, shot by a white man at Linden, Alabama, Samuel Ellis, Philadelphia, Navy veteran shot by a rookie cop in a subway. Willie Carlisle beaten to death by a cop in Opelika, Alabama, I think that is. Um, Sam Jones, San Pedro, California, construction worker beaten to death by another cop. Willie McGee put on the electric chair in Mississippi on a frame up charge. Harry T. Moore, NAACP leader bombed in his bed by the Klan in Florida. These are only a few from the South and the North, the East and the West. They tell you come nearer to equality by fighting the Korean War. They'll always tell you to do that when the time comes to face the gun. It's a lie. That's one part. And it ends like this. Right? Let me scroll down. The Chinese and Koreans are fighting for their own homes and borders. We didn't come 5,000 miles across sea to fight. We didn't come to America with guns and bombs, and we never will. So risk your lives here. 
Ask to go home where you can fight for your own rights as a human being. Leave us at peace in our homes here. Your friends, the Korean People's Army, the Chinese People's Volunteers. Manny, what's your... Wow. That was, uh, that was profound uh, in the sense that it, it's, it puts things in perspective, really. Because um, it's true. Right. And um, at, at the time, right, the Korean War and during that time, we as a country, we asked for black and brown people to go overseas and fight for another country's freedom when at home. Where is their freedom? Right. Um, and, and that really, that really speaks volumes. Right. Uh, that as a country, we expected, and sometimes not even expected, forced our own people here to go halfway across the world to different places in the world. To fight for others' freedoms when they themselves weren't even free. That speaks. But it's still happening to, today. It's still exactly. happening today. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And that, that's why so many people say, well, history is irrelevant. No, no, no. <laughs> history shows us. History shows us that we keep repeating the same patterns. And the reason why we talk about history is, well, what I assume is the hope that someday society has to wake up and realize, yeah, for almost 200 years, <laughs> We've been repeating the same patterns. This needs to stop. We need to stop repeating these patterns. And and, and like like uh, Amy just just put in the the chat. Our way to thank these <laughs> these same people that we sent overseas to fight for another country's freedom when they return. How do we thank them? By subjecting right. them right. back to the same thing. The same thing. But that's even what happened to Rhonda, right? And that's what we've been talking about this week. Because when she was beneficial to Lauren Garrett's campaign, okay, when she, was, when she was the asset to the white woman, when the white woman ran her campaign with the help of the white man showing grace on the police brutality on Stephanie and Paul, Y'all could fact check me. Lauren Garrett ran her ticket on that case as did Dusted Elliker. They both did it. This is what these type of people do. These are our white saviors. Malcolm X told us about them. Okay? And then when they got what they wanted, they lynched who they didn't need anymore. We just saw that Megan Friedman, who allegedly is supposed to be an objective journalist, was 
part of this attempted public lynching, like I've said before, the New Haven Register was the tree and Megan Friedman, the journalist, was the rope. And they attempted to do this to Rhonda. Why? Because now she's a problem. When she doesn't want to agree, when she pushes back, when y'all are doing nonsense, like not having enough people for a meeting, but having meetings anyway, you're making up the rules as you go. You have one of the people on the commission who's making comments on people's hair and getting away with it. The racism is blatant. And then you want us to trust these people with our policing? Are you serious? And then to add all of that as if to be the cherry on top of it. Now you're taking in all the bad cops. Well, Manny, I wanna thank you so much for spending time. We went over a little bit for all those who stayed on. Thank you so much. Your continued support and solidarity is greatly appreciated. Before I close it out, Manny, you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Just thank you, you know, for having me. And um, again, you know, uh, it's up to us, it's up to everyone who can do their part in any way that they can to uh, continue to strive for change and do what's necessary. We appreciate you too, Manny. And thank you so much for all that you do, have done and continue to do. It's great to see our young people on the ground and on the scene and willing to get up and stand up. For all of those who continue to support us and empower us, keep us uplifted. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. We really appreciate your solidarity. That's all we have for now. Tune in again soon. We'll be on again soon. Our friend Manny will be back. Fist up, smile on, CJ.